Welcome back to The Drop. This is Michael Saramella here to talk about everything that happened this week in surfing and holy smokes is there a lot. Tahiti just ended so first things first Stace is going to come onto the pod and we are going to talk about everything related to the WSL, the winners and losers in Tahiti, WSL Final Five and everything else around it. After that, Buck is going to come on to talk about the rest of this week's news, which includes some sad things, some happy things, and everything else in between. So, let's drop it. Mikey, you are back in the black. Congratulations. Thank you. Wow, we're like so far out from Gamble Ramble, but you brought it straight to the front. I appreciate it, Stacey. Oh, you know, credit, credit where it's due, and it was probably the most, you know, Second most interesting part of watching that event was watching your uh, watching your bets unfold. But uh, wowee, talk about drama! Are you joking me? That I, that was seriously seriously entertaining. Apart from the waves being what they were, the waves were. I mean, to be fair, we called it fucking pretty brutal in our last podcast, and the waves ended up being pretty sick. Like guys were getting proper tubes and girls too. Yeah, I I think that there's a good good point there on particularly day one. Um, I always had a bit of faith that day one was going to be fun, and I think it was. Your forecasting website let you down massively on day one, but I was very surprised to see how good the day two and day three of the event were when they did run. I thought the direction was going to be not very favourable at all, but then again, they are the world's best, and that they, I think at some point they, they, do, they do show you in conditions like that. Like Mere mortals aren't getting tubes out there on that second and third day absolutely not i mean even god the women's final looked so tough like that squall came through in the ocean just got so gross but you just knew that when gabby got out there somehow he was gonna like make it look magic and then lo and behold like pretty much on the buzzer he just starts off with like a perfect running left and you're like yeah okay uh they are so talented and wow yeah i i saw somebody comment on we, we obviously do the uh comp reports ethan davis did them this week and they were they were great and i saw somebody comment down below like oh what an underwhelming way to end a season i was like were we watching the same thing like the waves were fun it came down to a surf off between medina and jack robinson for the last spot in the final five in the final you know let let alone the fact that john surfed against gabe earlier that day jack surfed against yago his like the person who with whom he shares a coach and a house and a fucking father figure you know what i mean like there's so much shit going on and then you know obviously katie makes the final five and there's so much going on i agree that was psycho and the good thing was even though the conditions were very average everyone got their opportunities like no one really got hung out to dry which is that's all you want at the end of the day everyone's in the same boat and as long as there's four or five sets in a heat then that's all that really matters and there, def- there definitely was um that jack robbo yago heat though like are you kidding me you could write a book on that storyline there is so many layers to that uh, and I think yeah, we've got to give a shout out to Leandro Dora. Like what a interesting and challenging position for him to be in. Like took on Jack when Yago was injured. Jack won his first CT with Leandro as his coach after not really hitting his mark on the tour. Then obviously the next season rolls around and, and, and they're both super competitive and, and, and like, okay, these two guys are two top 10. Obviously, Jack's a world title surfer. We know that. And then Yago's kind of hitting his straps. And now he's in this position where his son's in fifth position. The guy that he's coached to be this superstar is trying to chase him down. And, you know, he's got to manage all of that. And I think that that is like, 
you know, we talk about it a lot, like, oh, how do you coach two athletes? And it's really not that difficult. You, you just start trying to bring the best out in each person. But with the emotions involved in that relationship, that's seriously next level. So well done to him. I think that would have been a very interesting day for him in the channel. Yeah, Strider said it best. Blood is thicker than water. And I guess when they were surfing in their heat, you know, Jack, after he got one of his good waves, you had Matty Bemrose like clapping, obviously so psyched to see Jack do that. And Leandro was more stoic, you know, because on one hand, it's like, yeah, great. He's my guy. But on the other hand, like that's his son out there. And at the end of the day, he would do anything for his son, barring, you know, obviously like intentionally screwing Jack over. I'm sure he would never do that. But yeah, it must have been so hard for him to watch that all unfold. But at the end of the day, he's got a job and he's got a, you know, responsibility to Jack as well because he took him under his wing. I do want to just point out one of the craziest bits of writing that's been on the site lately and it was from ethan davis's comp rap yesterday just kind of painting a picture of (laughs) what it might have felt like uh, in the dora camp so here's ethan picture this an orchestra of clinking utensils playing a tune that even beethoven couldn't fathom punctuating the stilted conversation that stutter starts like an old car on a winter morning each bite of food seems to hang in the air suspended by an invisible web of discomfort as if the entire room has been submerged in a gelatin of unease. Awkward silences stretch like taffy, and attempts at humor fall flatter than a pancake left out in the rain. It's a dining experience where every forkful of pasta seems to carry the weight of a thousand unspoken words, and the salt shaker's tiny pores cement themselves shut due to the wet thickness hovering over the table. That's the Dora Camp eating dinner tonight after Jack stole his spot. Oh my gosh. Oh, Ethan Davis is rightfully off his head that's great yeah that's um yeah i wish i didn't skim read (laughs) that was great anyway uh let's give a little rundown of kind of the big notes of what this means so obviously jack got the fifth and final spot in the final five medina is out yago is out joao held on as i had prophesied very 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 many events ago but it seemed like that maybe wasn't going to happen after he lost in the elimination round i was feeling pretty nervous But it also means that the Olympics for the men are sorted. So going to the Olympics from the CT are Felipe Toledo, Griffin Colapinto, Ethan Ewing, Joao Chianca, um, John Florence, Jack Robinson, Leo Fioravanti, Kano Igarashi, Jordy Smith, Matt McGillivray. That means that Rio Waida did not make it, and also Gabriel Medina is not in. The only other chance for a Brazilian to get in uh, is by winning the 2024 ISA World Games, and then they get to select one. So that would be presumably Medina or Italo, who, remember, is the reigning gold uh, medalist. Then for the women's side, everyone has decided except for the second U.S. woman. So it's going to be either Caroline or Katie, depending on how they do at lower trestles. And with that, the final five lineups in order for the men, Felipe, then Griffin, then Ethan, who we'll talk about that in a second, then Joao, then Jack. So Joao and jo- so Joao and Jack will be in that first heat together, and Joao will have priority per the new rule. On the women's side, it's Carissa, then Tyler, Caroline, Molly, and Katie. Same thing applies there. So those will be the 10 surfers, or maybe nine, surfing for a world title this year at Lower Trestles, September 10th. No, sorry, September 8th to 16th, they'll pick one day, hopefully the best day, and hopefully they get some waves, and we will get our world champions for 2023. I've already started looking at the Trestles forecast, and um, stoked they're not running anything Don't do that. I have to. I have to. I need to see some patterns. (laughs) All right, so Stacey, I have gotten 
a number of really angry DMs and emails about this Ethan Ewing thing. And basically the situation is that Ethan Ewing obviously hurt his back in Tahiti. We're trying to get an interview with him to really figure out the extent of it, but it doesn't sound good based on what we know. So if he's not able to compete in lowers, the WSL has stated flat out that basically the number six surfer will not move up to be able to complete the final five, so to speak. So it will only be four men surfing at lowers if Ethan pulls out. A lot of people are outraged at this, and I get that, but I also get the other side. And I don't think we've done a very good job at explaining why the WSL is making this decision so Stace, do you have a sense of it, or do you want me to have a crack? Well, I listened to you giving a sense of it last week, and I'd, I'd have to, yeah, I could definitely, we could talk about it at length. Um, I'm sure they've... You've... I actually cut that out of the podcast, so nobody else heard that, because I feel like I didn't do a good job, so I want to give it another crack in this episode. Okay, good, because I would, was going to tear you to shreds. We'll give you round two. Okay. Off you go, Mikey. So... The way that the final five works is whatever seed you go into, it's basically you can change your end of season seed at lower. So that's why Steph Gilmore was able to go from the fifth seed last year to the world champion. And that means she also entered the 2023 season as the number one seed. So your season ranking is dependent upon how you do at lower trestles. And if you are to take Ethan Ewing out of that equation, so right now he's in the number three seed. If you take Ethan Ewing out of that equation, you move Medina, the number six seed, up into that theoretical fifth spot to let him surf it and complete the five. What you're doing is you're eliminating that seed that Ethan should finish in for the season. So right now, if he's in the third seed, the worst he can finish in the 2023 CT season is fourth in the world. Because basically, whoever wins the heat between Joao and Jack is going to get an automatic buy past Ethan. So if Joao or Jack wins their heat, the worst they can do in the season is third place. So if you take Ethan out of that equation and you let Gabriel in, then basically his spot disappears. So you have no position to give him at the end of the season, nor do you have a seed to give him in the beginning of the 2024 season. That is like the general baseline of it. And then there's also precedent. If somebody gets hurt in the middle of an event, it's not as if like the person that they beat in the previous heat just gets to come in and take their spot. Like that person already lost. Gab already lost. The, the line was set at the beginning of the year. You have to be in the top five to make it to lowers. So the WSL basically is saying, we're not going to walk back on that just because somebody in the top five is getting hurt. They're taking the hard line. I understand that people want the entertainment side of it. It's obviously much more interesting if Gab gets to surf and lower. So I see both sides, but yeah, that's basically the WSLs. They haven't said this outright, but I would imagine that's their explanation for why they're not letting anybody else in. Oh, okay. So you just, that's not their explanation. That's your, that's your opinion. Yes. I'm not too sure if you were reading that out of a rule book or not. Nope. Yeah. Mate, let him surf. I'm so pro letting six surf. It's not even funny. Like it's already a spectacle. Like it's already pretty pretty hotly spoken about topic i i can't see the 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 harm in letting the next best surfer in the world have a crack at it um as far as that that surfer and it being fair to the injured surfer all these rules that that are made up are made up by the same governing body that are running the event like you can you can chop and change rules however they please so like you said ethan if he doesn't surf won't go less than fourth so he becomes the fourth seed that's his seed for next season. He doesn't just disappear. No, but it doesn't work like that. Because think about it. 
like say how, how do you how do you work that out numerically then like what seed does medina get what seed does joel get what seed does jack the, the get? day starts with six v five medina v robo so but there's only five people on the last day because the injured surfer in third isn't there so it's still only a five surfer surfer draw it's not a six surfer draw it's just the number six seed will be there and if if he loses first heat he he just retains sixth ah interesting okay i don't i don't see that being that big of a deal it's really well, as far as protecting the injured surfer, which I agree with, I don't think Ethan should just go to like seed whatever. But that's what used to happen. If you if you were world number one and you got injured at the time you got injured, you'd come back the following season in world in seed number seven or eight, and they broke they broke down in brackets of eight, so you would actually lose your seed if you're injured. So th- this 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 protects the injured surfer a lot, which is great. Um, but yeah, I'm all for the entertainment. Like it's already a day where. Imagine if, you know, Steph Gilmore comes from fifth and wins the title and she did it. And we're still talking about it now. Imagine if sixth did it. That'd be the coolest thing ever. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to, because so many people are so passionate about this. I'm going to do a piece on the site as soon as possible, kind of breaking down both sides of this. And I don't feel super duper strongly one way or the other. I really do see both sides here. Like there is just a certain level of like, yeah, the WSL has certainly done some rule bending and changing to suit its own agenda over the years there's no question about that but there's a level to it where it just becomes a bit of a farce and you're just like so clearly doing whatever the fuck you want to to suit your own needs and i think that they do need to kind of draw a line in the sand at some point if they want to be seen as a legitimate organization and i don't know if this is the right place to take that stand and you know be authoritarian but i can understand why they would be leaning that direction the most interesting thing to me about the end of year tallies is that you only have a throwaway in the first five events so gabriel sort of had a year this year like joanne defay did last year in that they were super consistent they had okay results not great by his standard but he had four ninths and a first if you compare that to everyone ahead of him they all have including philippe a 1300 as their throwaway. So so Gabriel's throwing away 2000 more points in his first half of the year than any other surfer. So I think if anything needs to be looked at there it's like I don't know like you don't you don't have a throwaway in the back half of the season. Every result counts. So Gabriel is actually holding a 1300 in his 10 total scores, but he's throwing away a 3000. Mm. That to me seems interesting and worth if any rule was worth looking at, it would be that one. Because if you flipped it on its head and let him throw away the thirteen thirty in the back half of the year that he had, and not the ninth at the start of the year, he would actually finish this year in fourth. Wow, that is really interesting because it does seem fairly arbitrary. It's a weird one. Uh, every result counting in the back half of the year is cutthroat. It's 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 pretty crazy. But there's also a level of just like the way that it is is the way that like there there was that year that um mm. kelly slater and mick fanning were going for the world title and the way that the points worked out because you know that every once in a while they change the point values for placings so if they had the present day point values for placings kelly actually would have been world champion that year but he's not because that wasn't the situation then you know what i mean like everybody plays by the same rules to a certain degree so like yeah you could say that it's fucking bullshit or whatever but it also applies to everyone so i don't know there's it's it's interesting to talk about but it is yeah it is yeah and i think that these those are the types of things where i think that probably will get spoken about at the end of the year because it just doesn't seem like yeah this surfer 
the surfer in six, one more heats throughout the year. Well, not quite, but arguably one more heats than, say, the surfer ahead of him, which is what you're essentially chasing, you know. But anyway, the Kelly thing, I think that happened in the Parco year, 2012, and there's not one person in my town that's worried about that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Should we get into some come-ups? Let's get into some come-ups, Mikey. Uh, come-ups would have to be Robbo for me. I picked him. You told me I was tripping, and... Uh, Robbo all the way. Just had like a G-Land feel about it. Knew it was going to be scrappy and small lefts. And I don't know, like Jack Jack and Gabriel, to me, are like the only two surfers that I see on tour that go to some other place when they're competing. I don't know if that's like too funky to say that. But like even through the webcast, when I'm watching those two paddle back out in the channel, I'm like, whoa, that person is on an absolute mission. And, and for me... Jack and Gabriel have that. It's 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 weird. Am I tripping? Do you see that? No, I totally see that. And I also, you know, after the whole J-Bay thing and the paddle battle, I don't know why I would have said that you were tripping for picking him. Well, I, I guess, yeah, whatever. I, I fucked up. Obviously, Jack, congratulations. That was incredible. Um, and to do that in the back half of the year after going through so much adversity through the middle of the year is unbelievable. And if he manages to win a world title this year, that's got to be one of the great comeback stories ever in surfing. Like what he's gone through is, yeah, it's just wild. And on that point though, for me, Medina, like he hasn't seemed like himself all year. Not one, even the event that he won, it, he didn't even surf well. Like I think he would pretty much tell you that. Seeing him out in a wave that is like a real fucking wave and barreling and how dominant he was, like he just looked like a different human. He was just, the amount, the way that he hunts out there and just absolutely petrifies his competition like the only one who could uh, like withstand the pressure from him was jack and you know despite being basically comboed within how much time in that heat jack just sat there and fucking held it which was so impressive so yeah both of them that was like such a beautiful performance i was pretty shocked that jack pulled off that win against gabby with how that event started and how much of a heater medina was on but that's where Jack, they go into very different spaces, but they go into, on, to your point, like clearly like a, a similar level, but very like different spheres, almost like a multiverse sort of thing. Oh man, like watching Gabby pat, jump off the boat and paddle in the lineup, it's like, okay, we are watching one. I know it's, it's hard to talk about it so highly because it was only chest to head high, but he can do it when it's big too. And he is just so dominant. It wasn't, there were, there were some solid waves out there. Like, there were some fucking heavy too. Go and watch Jack Robbo's second seven, go and watch Jack Robbo's second seven, eight, three, and tell me that's bigger than head high. <laughs> I mean, sure. Like, yeah, there were some bigger waves out there, but for more or less, it was like, yeah, crew would not like, yeah, anyway. I don't want to talk down on the conditions because we can do that. That's just lazy. But it wasn't like, the only thing that was miss missing from that battle was like some, Real deep water blue tubes. But the the intensity of the battle, though, the intensity of the battle was still, it couldn't have been any higher. It almost was gnarlier because it was smaller. Paddle out times were shorter. There was more, like, little options and more, like, drama. So, yeah, it was it was entertaining. I'm not, not going to take an easy swipe at the conditions. But, I, I, you know, it's, man, those guys are seriously, seriously talented. And it's, like, where does Gabby rate for you in the, like, the history of us watching it, like say we've been 
tuning into pro surfing since like probably the tail end of the Andy Kelly era, Candy Candy Ellie, Andy Kelly era. Like where does where does he sit? It's so hard because I feel like I and we collectively as a viewership have such a present bias, and Medina just really didn't impress me at all this year up until this point so like if you'd asked me before Tahiti I would say yeah he had a good run but it seems like he's kind of like out of it now and I and I don't think the true greats like kind of fizzle out that quickly like he's not even 30 yet um or maybe he's maybe he's just turned 30 no I think he's younger than me so I don't think he's 30 yet but then to see him come back like this like that just makes me so excited for if if nothing less next year because I think that um, he kind of needed a little kick in the ass this year to really get the fire going again. So when he's on, man, especially in waves like that, like you've seen his record at Tahiti and at places like Pipe as well. Like it's crazy. So when he's on, I almost think nobody comes close, but he does like, it definitely feels like there's like a motivation aspect to that. Like he definitely hasn't had it this year. So he's not as consistent as like a Kelly or a Mick, but yeah, when he kicks it on, I don't think there's really anybody that's more like fucking eye of the tiger. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty, pretty crazy to watch. I don't know. I just feel super lucky to be a spectator in this era. Like if you look at the top six or top eight, because in in eighth is John and seventh is Yago. Like it's a really, really cool time to be like getting into pro surfing. The, 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 the talent and the characters are, are sick. Well, it's almost, it's weird, like, the fact that John and Gab aren't even in the top five. It's like, is their era bygone? You know what I mean? I don't want to think so. Maybe I, I just want to assume that this year is a bit of an anomaly. But then you look in the top five, and there's maybe really only one name that you could say shouldn't be there. But the other people, it's like, yeah, man, they fucking, they can do it. Yeah, I mean, I think it does come down to wave quality. There's just no doubt about it. Like, you've seen it with John, his performances. Um, and this year, the wave quality just wasn't there. Like, not that that's an excuse, but it's it's just a fact. You know, the, the waves this year have been really, really subpar. And when they've been good, John's looked good. But, the, you know, it's it's like the event windows just haven't had the quality of waves that, the, that, 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 that John needed to fire. And, and I don't know if you can say the same about Gabriel, though, because he, you know, for him to start the year with four quarterfinals, uh, excuse me, four ninths, and not turn one of them into a result until he got to Margaret River, and an event that, he, like you said, he really doesn't never look like winning, and then that's the one that he won. It's, that's, a, that's a strange year for him. So, yeah, it, it's an interesting one. All right, so the other come up for me is Katie Simmers makes the top five in her rookie year and puts on a really, really impressive performance out in Tahiti. She... Uh, other than that one wave, which was spectacular, I don't really think she got like the tubes that she wanted, and she was pretty vocal about that. But how are some of those carves she was doing out of the barrel? Like she was just surfing that wave like it was a joke. It's, yeah, she's gonna be one of the best ever. She, she's the she's the best already. <laughs> like it's crazy how gnarly <laughs> she is, how comfortable she looks. And said it at the start of the year, she doesn't look like she's surfing in a rashi, and. Mm that's not the first surfer we've ever seen come on the tour with that kind of attitude to surf in their heats, but they very quickly lose it and they start here in six, eight threes and five, eight threes and the coaches in the channel and everything. And it, you can sort of just, you see the shine come off the surfer pretty quick because the, you know, the competitiveness and the pressure kind of, you can see them starting to surf to the system. She's just, she's straight up just paddling out and surfing. And it's, you can it's so clear, you know, she is not, 
Yeah. You know, she's worried about picking good waves and, and, and riding them well. And that's it. And she's, she's doing that exceptionally. And the fact that it's working is crazy. Like, I think you were probably asleep for this one just due to the time. But she had a uh, heat against Molly Picklum later on in the event. And Katie needed, I think, like a 2.54 at the end of the heat to make it through. And she took off on this wave that it wasn't a barreling wave, but it was a pretty good wave. Like, it had a steep section. And she just went straight through the lip. Like, first term was just, like, absolutely perfect. And all she needed to do was finish the wave, and she 100% would have gotten the score. And what does she do? She gets the next section, and she goes and tries to hit it harder and do a fin waft out there at Chopo. You know what I mean? Like, not, not in Rio or whatever, or Sakurama. Like, this is Chopes. And she's trying to, like, throw her fins out the back when, one, she doesn't need to for the score, and, two, it's just pretty dangerous. And, uh, yeah, she didn't make it, but she still got the score because the first turn was so strong, and I still think you get... A little bit of bonus when you really try to hit a section even if you don't come down from the judges so th- that's just straight to her mindset that you were just talking about like she just wants to surf the way she wants to surf which for most people it doesn't really work competitively and for her it is which is so exciting and now she has a shot to actually win a world title which we talked about a few events ago like is that a possibility and it is right there um i've already talked with coral about her plans for uh making some world title merch but i i mean my my money is on Carissa, but my heart is with Katie. No, you make the merch. If you're in the five, you make the merch. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> okay, so also worth noting that uh, we actually split the men's and the women's final with our picks, which was pretty cool. You had Jack, I had Gab, and uh, you had Katie, I had Caroline. I had a bit of a moral conundrum going into the women's final because I actually put money on both Caroline and Katie to win the event before it started. So I kind of took your tip there on Katie and took my own tip on Caroline. The thing was, Katie was going to pay me out more. So I had to weigh whether I wanted to take the extra cash from betonline.ag or I wanted to root for Caroline so that I could have the um, podcast pride and rub it in your face. Absolutely. Podcast pride takes precedent and there's nothing better (laughs) than, um, you know, chalking, chalking one up. Uh, So, yeah, although I'm going to have to check. Well, we went one and one. So good on us. We did. Yeah. Oh, no, that's, that's, it's rare that happens, actually. Yeah. Going to have to see how we fared against all of our other podcast colleagues uh, on assorted surf picks. I don't think many people picked Robbo. No. I'm feeling pretty good about that. So one. on that, let's get into some letdown. It's it's a bit of a letdown as far as like the outcome is concerned. And it's, it's, it's Rio Waida and his chance into the Olympics. I really would have liked to see him qualify for the Olympics again. I saw the effect it had for him first time round. Uh, going to Tokyo, and uh, he had the heat of all heats to try to qualify for the Olympics. He needed to finish a few rounds ahead of Matty McGivoray. Matty McGivoray finished in the elimination round, uh, so Rio needed to make the quarters. And he had a heat to make the quarters v probably the best of all time out there, or one of the best in John Florence. And, you know, unfortunately, John Florence went ham to the bone. And I just had to feel for young Rio. I was like, oh, so close to achieving one of his goals and dreams, but also yet so far. Yeah. I mean, he's still got a chance to get in. There's, you know, a couple ISA World Games coming up, and I wouldn't be shocked if he still found a way in there. But for me, the the letdowns, well, I have, I have three letdowns. I'm going to couple two of them together because they're in a similar vein. Felipe Toledo and Steph Gilmore, 
obviously last year's two world champs, obviously two of the best performance surfers of all times in their respective categories. And neither of them seem to want anything to do with chopes. Um, Felipe, his heat against Mihimana, like there was a drone shot that basically captured it perfectly. Felipe has priority. Mihimana's, you know, a little bit inside of him and actually a little bit wider on the reef. And this wave comes in that's a little bit deeper. And Felipe kind of takes a look at it over his shoulder, but doesn't move. And Mihimana just like paddles as fast as he can. And Felipe has time to see that Mihimana's paddling that fast and could easily turn around and still get the wave. Doesn't move an inch. Mihimana airdrops into it, gets a seven, smokes him. This is Felipe's eighth time surfing in Tahiti. He's only made finals day once, and that was in 2018 when it literally did not get above two foot the entire time, and he was doing turns to make his heats. And it's so hard for me to grapple with. I do this every single year. Like, he's so far and above everybody else in performance surfing. Like, it's just not even close. And when you watch him do that, you're just, like, mesmerized. You're like, yeah, this is the best surfer in the world. But then you see him come here and do this, and it's like, fucking hell. Like, just try a little bit, you know? Just, like... We just, all you got to do is try a little bit. Yeah, and, and he has done in the past. Like the, there was that swell there before I think the 2018 year where he 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 packed a big one and got smoked, and you kind of like, all right, well he's got it in him. But you do want to see a bit more. I mean, he's well supported there. Hurley have got good roots there um, with Matei, and and he's been there eight years. Like. Yeah, I'm with you. For further context, too, like I went back and did a breakdown. He's got an average. Uh, so looking at his career average heat total, it's in the 14th, which is obviously really good. So that breaks down to from, from most to least. He has an average heat total of around 17 points in the wave pool, which is crazy. Uh, it's around 15 points per heat at point breaks, which obviously he's won a lot of events at point breaks. 13 points at beach breaks and 11 points at reef breaks, which obviously, you know, chopes and pipe and all those waves come to mind so it's such a clear weakness like it's not even it's i'm not even this isn't an opinion you know what i mean like these are just statistics and you know that he's good enough to do it like it's just i don't know i guess on the other hand like he already knew that he was going into the wsl finals as the number one seed so maybe there's not an incentive to really try that hard and maybe hurt yourself like ethan i get that but from just like a subjective fan point of view you want the world champion you want to feel like uh basically they can surf waves that matter too and it, we just haven't really gotten that from felipe like if, if he looked me straight in the eye and said i'm i'm actually taking it easy because i don't want to get hurt i'd i'd probably accept that that's fine yeah i'd, I'd probably accept it I'd yeah like, yeah fucking sweet like we just seen what happened to ethan you know but the other side of it for me is aren't you a surfer that just wants to get barreled because that's the only thing I think about with surfing. Yeah. I don't think about Same. doing the best frontside carve in my life. I don't, I, I, that's, that's past me. I'm not trying to win the Oki Grom Comp. All I think about <laughs> is rolling into a wave where the wave goes over me. <laughs> and <laughs> so I don't true. think about any, I don't, I don't get excited about like, I do, I like surfing, but I'm not like, my heart rate doesn't spike at three foot D bar. I, I freak out if, Kira starts breaking and like how do I get out there and like lie to my family and work <laughs> you know like yeah you know so I'm just like in that sense I'm like oh where is that for him like is it in there it, it must be it has to be like you're watching him getting tubes at like places like J-Bay and Barinha in Brazil and like other spots like you know he's a surfer like 
fuck is there that in him? But I don't know. Yeah, so I love Felipe. I still want him to win the world title. I just want to see him try a little bit in waves like that. And this actually led to the comment of the week on the website. It was from Undergund. And he said, Gabby not winning the event means that Felipe and Joao will have to carry the Brazilians in the Olympics. This is too funny. Gabe should have been in for Paris and Felipe should have been in for Tokyo. And it is crazy to think that, like, you know, you have Gabe and after watching what he did this week, like to think that he would not be able to compete in the 2024 games because Felipe has that spot. It's like, damn, there's something broken with this system, right? Because he'd have to be the favorite for Brazil, if not the entire world. Oh, for sure. Yeah, without a doubt. It uh, it leads me to a story that uh, is one of the great stories in Australian sport. Um, it's a swimming story, and it involved what, our very own Grant Hackett, who at the time, in I think it was the 1500, didn't qualify for the Olympics. Uh, he false started on the gates and got disqualified in the qualifying rounds. I'm just pulling this out of thin air because I can't quite find it while we're talking about it but it's the story the story's out there you can go and look it up the guy that ended up qualifying for australia like basically got like media peer pressure this was like 15 years ago (laughs) into like giving up his spot (laughs) so that grant hackett could swim in the 1500 at the olympics and he did and he won (laughs) i'm like thinking the same thing here for philippe and and gabby Editor's note, it wasn't Grant Hackett, it was Ian Thorpe. Amazing. And you know what else, too, is um, there was, I think, another Australian. So they do that uh, that ice skating, like the speed skating thing where oh, they go around in a ring. You mean Stephen, Stephen Bradbury, not just another Australian. <laughs> yeah, Stephen Bradbury. So maybe, maybe that'll be Felipe. Maybe the waves will be two foot for the Olympics and he'll just win a gold oh, medal. Mean, yeah, I, another good story if you haven't seen that one. YouTube, that one. Yeah. Stephen Bradbury surfs. I see, him, I see him in the water. You're kidding. I'm pretty sure he's from the Gold Coast. Yeah, so if you, if you don't know this story, he was in the Olympic final for the speed skating thing, and he was clearly the slowest one in the field. Like, it wasn't even close. Like, he was so far behind the pack. And then one of the pack just, I guess the leader fell and took out everybody else, and he just glided past them to a gold medal that... um. He probably shouldn't have won on ability, but now he's an Olympic gold medalist. So who's going to tell him otherwise? Oh, mate, all you need is a chip and a chair like that. Yeah, yeah. If you haven't seen that, inline ice skating. This is Australia. Like, we're a desert, basically. (laughs) Ice skating. (laughs) Yeah, it's like Jamaican bobsledding, basically. Seriously, yeah. So, okay, that brings us to, again, I, I mentioned them together in the beginning, but Steph Gilmore, like... God, it's just hard. Like her highest heat total this event was four point six seven. Her highest ever in Tahiti is seven point five, and you compare that to a career where she's obviously put up like mostly excellent, or not mostly excellent, but like her heat score average across her career is like way, way, way higher than that. And um, yeah, it does make you think. Like, what would her career have looked like if there were more lefts on tour? She's obviously the goat. She's got eight world titles, but. If she grew up in an era where, like, you really had to surf waves like this to win world titles, I don't think it would look the same. Oh, I reckon it would for sure. The people are that competitive, they just make it work. So, yeah, I don't think you could really say that. All right. But it is a, it is a bit of a shame to say to see, like, just that not that, like, well-roundedness that, you know, you get from a John. Like, John is an Eddie champ. Just get some backside barrels would be cool too. But you just hyped up John. I'm going to now come in and knock him down a peg. We're in the letdown section. I'm not trying to be rude, but watching his heat against Medina, that was fucking brutal. So 
Medina is known as one of the most competitive surfers in the world and will put up a fight to get any wave or any position that he needs to to win his heat. John is the exact opposite, and they had a heat where they knew going into it that if you wanted to be in the final five, you have to win this heat. They were uh, spots six and seven going into this heat, so they, they still had some work to do, but they knew they had to beat one another if they wanted a chance to compete for a world title this year. What happens? Medina gets the inside. John lets him have it, doesn't even try, basically goes full. Uh, was it Mick or Joel that used to let people have the inside? It was Mick, right? Mick. Yeah, so Mick, yeah. So I mean, it but worked for It, it wasn't that simple. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but it wasn't that simple. Mick, Mick, Mick knew his lineups like no other, and he would let them have the inside of a spot that didn't exist, and he wouldn't move off his spot. Well, it seems like this was the opposite. And I don't think John's that competitive. Yeah, Yeah. so Medina literally sat exactly where he wanted to. Yeah, I, John is competitive, though. That's the thing. Like, he's super competitive. But this is where he's supposed to be fighting for his life, like literally fighting for his chance to win a world title in a year where he struggled and, like, he he really knew that it was important to do this, and he just didn't put up any fight. Like, it was just, he just let him have it. And what did Medina do? He dropped a high eight on his first wave and then put him in combo and never let him out. Like, it was just a complete domination, and it was really hard to watch, like, because John's my favorite surfer, like, from top to bottom. Like you said, he's the most complete surfer in the world. When the waves are real, he's the most fun to watch. But watching this happen was like, yeah, I guess he just doesn't want it the same way. Or if he does, he's not willing to stoop to that level. I actually, to that point, I was uh, surfing today, and there's this guy down here who's who calls himself John Chi, and he's just the nicest guy ever, and he lives on this big plot of land, and he plants a lot of trees and just lives off the land, and he's like one of those types of people. And I, we were talking about that heat, and I kind of like shared the opinion that I just did, and John Chi said, you know what? John's a beautiful soul, and I'm proud of him for doing what he did. <laughs> so I think that was a good counterbalance <laughs> from John Chi. <laughs> I, uh, I love that, yeah. Well, look, at the end of the day, a tiger doesn't change its stripes. You can't expect John to jump off the boat and go into full, like, Frederico Marias, Paddy Ga- Paddle Gabby up the point mode. That's just, that. you, you have to play your own game. That's not going to work for you. But why not? Why you can't, not? no. This is no. Not, we're not talking about every single heat. This is the one heat that matters. This is the one time that he has to be fucking mongrel, and he didn't bring it's it up. It's an art form to be a good hassler. And if you don't do it a lot, you don't know what you're doing. It's, it is really an art form. You have to be like a real asshole. And uh, I don't think John's got that in him. He's competitive, but he's not an asshole. Like John Chi said, he's a lovely soul. And I think that, you know, but that is, it is, there's a competitive advantage though that it is, you know, when you just break it down to, yeah, having the inside and having the first look. The, the, the beauty of having the inside is that Gabby doesn't actually have to go that wave, but he can make the decision on it. And that's where John probably needs to have a bit more Mick Fanning in him and just think about the positioning on the peak and not let him have full free reign um, because it wasn't that consistent that day. When it's consistent, like the pipeline final where John beat Gabe, the same thing happened there. He let Gabe have the inside. He let Gabe ride a bunch of waves. John then got the lead back. Then John started taking waves off him. And so instead of being busy at the start and managing Gabby from the start, John just surfed his heat, got his points on the board, and then managed Gabby at the end. And he was probably just looking to do the same thing here. It's just slow, windy chopes. Ugh, can't hurt to maybe shoulder up a little bit more. I mean, yeah. It's, and also, there's just the mental aspect, like the psychological aspect of it. Like, you let someone get the inside, you're, 
you can tell yourself that you know you're being the bigger person or you're playing the long game or whatever it is but if you let somebody get the inside and they drop an 8.83 on their first wave and then they turn around and get a high six under priority and you're comboed at 15 whatever points like that fucking is hard to come back from and the only person who was able to do it was jack robinson um and a lot of credit to jack but yeah john that was um it was disappointing because i really did want to see him in the final five and that was his opportunity and he just didn't seem to seize it mm. Yep, yep, it is It is disappointing when the big guns don't fire, for sure. All right, well, let's get into a few miscellaneous points and then some gamble ramble. All right, so, Stacy, one other major thing from this event that was not really that well talked about is, so this was Kelly Slater's end of his wild card for the 2023 season. He does have a wild card into the start of the 2024 season. I see him surfing pipe and then calling it quits. What do you think? Uh, nah, nah. He he he's he's cruising. He's yeah. He'll surf pipe. To what end? Um, no end. He surfs forever. He, there's no Olympics on the line. Um, there might be some <laughs> weird rule change or something. Who knows? Nah, yeah. I don't know. I I haven't you been riding like Kelly Slater retirement buzz for like 15 years? I'm just numb to it. I don't even, it's literally the last thing I think about when I watch an event. <sighs> yeah, I guess it just, it feels like this is the one I haven't written a Kelly Slater retirement thing in like at least seven years. So it's been a while. <laughs> um, I think this one, like, cause it made sense for him to try this year, right? He had the Olympic shot and obviously mm. he didn't get it. And then the WSL gave him a wild card, which, do you really think they'd give him like a second wild card to do a second complete year on tour if he doesn't make the cut next year? That seems like a little bit much to me. So I think he serves pipe and he calls it quits. That's my call right now. Obviously, a lot can change, and Kelly can literally probably hasn't even made a decision yet and won't until he surfs that last heat. But uh, just putting it out there right now. Another thing is the heat analyzer is still down. Please get Eric Logan back on the payroll so we can get those up and moving. And... Last thing, Stace, is Yagodora in his heat against Jack. He needs an 8-9-3 at the end. He gets a good barrel, knows he needs more, comes out and hits the end section onto dry reef, throws basically a full rotation air. I mean, if he lands it, he gets the score. He got a 7 even without it. Do you think that's like the future of surfing chokes? Because that was the first person who really, really went for it at the end of the wave. For sure. Like, we spoke about it at the start of the week. Like, chokes at that size is fun. Um, for a free surf, you're probably not going to do that. But for winning heats, yeah, you leave a bit of blood out there for sure. Right. Cause like, it just seemed like that was the first person who really decided that they, it was like do or die. And obviously it was his last wave that he was going to get. He knew he didn't have the score yet and he went for it, which I think you have to do, but it's like, Hmm, it, would it make sense to do that earlier in a heat to get a bigger score? Yeah. I mean, it is dry bone in there. Um, so you would definitely, if you didn't land it, you would get rinsed. Uh, but I don't know, maybe wear a long, um, short leg spring suit and just go for it. Yeah. All right. Well, well done to Yago. That was a really inspired performance and unfortunate that you didn't make the top five, but his surfing is only getting better. And I would not be surprised to see him in the top five next year. So obviously we have our final five settled WSL final start on September 8th. That's the waiting period to the 16th. And we will obviously be all on top of that, giving you our picks and previews a little bit closer to the date. But for now, we're going to get into this time around my favorite section of the podcast, Gamble Ramble presented by betonline.ag. 
You are back in the black, Mikey. Congratulations. Uh, well done on your underdog pick as well. I know he didn't Ooh, win the event. Although I was watching Leo come through his heats going, hey, Mikey's got a real chance with him here. Like he was looking locked in. And he's another guy that gets that like, once he puts his chin down and he starts really digging in, he's, he's pretty hard to stop. So you had a couple of good calls there. Yep. And um, unfortunately, I got really lucky with Caroline Marks as well, winning the whole thing. It always helps a lot because obviously we're doing the heat by heat betting, but you also do the picks at the beginning of the event for the event winners. And if you get in there with the right person, the odds are pretty good. So I got Caroline. I won her. And then I also I had a pretty bad day one. And then I slowly worked my way back on day two. And finals day, I went pretty, pretty hard on the um, single heat bet. So uh, I kind of, I feel a little bit bad, but I basically maxed out the bet on Caroline versus Steph because I just did not see that heat going the other way. So I put 450 down on that and that one paid off for me. And then, um, yeah, it was, it was a good week and I ended up $573 in the black. So that brings me to $4,824 on the season. Um, finals day hopefully won't mess me up too bad. I've got some longstanding um, title winner picks, like from the beginning of the season for Felipe and for Carissa. Admittedly, I put 250 on John to win the title at the beginning of the year as well, so I'm going to have to deduct that for my total when the time comes. But uh, yeah, I'm going. I'm, I'm trying to hit the 5K mark for the season. That's my goal. What did you get Felipe and Carissa at at the start of the year? Can you remember? Yeah, I want to say Felipe was plus 450, so... That's that. And I think Carissa was probably like 300 or something pretty not that high. But like for, for Carissa, you know, you take it. Um, well, that's a couple of you got the number one seeds. I don't think you could hope for too much more going into finals day. Yeah. Well, I am going to hope that Katie Simmers wins. I'm going to put some money on her as well, just as a uh, bit of an emotional hedge. And yeah, man, lowers. I'm excited. This is a fucking great group. And Unfortunately, it sounds like it's only going to be four guys, but uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that on the site in a piece coming yep, up soon. Can't wait. Bit of a gap between now and then, some Challenger Series events at the uh, end of the month. Uh, but Mikey, we'll be in touch. We will. And uh, now we're going to go to Buck and myself with this week's other news. Let's drop in. If you're prepared for something, that means you're not prepared for anything. This is a simple linguistic fact, but we are gathered here today so that I can tell you there's a way around it. Fringe has made the world's first protein bar made specifically for surfers. Uh, My friend has a kayak. He tried to buy it, and they said, no, get the fuck out of here, you goat boater. Uh, Fringe bars are designed to provide the ultimate nutrition to fuel your session and help you recover for your next They are packed with adaptogenic mushrooms to keep your mind and body balanced. Those are ones that make you smart, not the ones that make you trip. They are fully plant-based. They're gluten-free. They have 15 grams of protein, zero grams of added sugar, and they're made with real all-natural ingredients. And they come in three delicious flavors. Um, They tried to give these guys a Michelin star. They said no. Anyway... I love fringe bars. Anytime I'm not prepared for a session, I, I'm driving and I go, oh, look, I got a fringe bar. And that way I am able to make up for my inadequacies, which are many and growing. And it makes me feel good. And it's simple. You just eat the fringe bar, you go surfing. So what you're going to want to do is head on over to fringefoodco.com. 
That's fringefoodco.com and use the code STAB to take 15% off your first order of fringe bars. They're available in 12 packs of chocolate almond butter, coconut cashew, mango hemp, or you get the variety pack. Get all three flavors. Again, that's code STAB to get 15% off your first order. It's pretty much free. Get there. Fringefoodco.com. Go get them. Get the fringe bar and you eat it if you're mildly hungover about to surf a slab in a foreign country or if you're going to run a half marathon without any formal training or adequate running shoes you eat the fringe bar go get there stab highway europe presented by monster energy episode four and the wheels are off the wagon aren't they um there was a moment during the production of this that it's only a light part of the episode but i think i think out of all the surfers so we had 16 of them and i think one of the most level-headed people the whole time was joel vaughn i think he was the person that regardless like even if he's just eaten four escargots over the course of 48 hours and he's surfed for eight hours during that time and he is like his body is just literally breaking down he still kind of had this smirk on his face um there was a moment here in episode four where it was the most upset i saw him and it didn't it didn't make for good tv like it wasn't uh he wasn't even mad or like you know really displaying it. he just looked at me with these eyes of just just why are you doing this to me um and i want you to guess what that was mikey oh um was it He'd already done the food challenge, so it certainly wasn't that. I mean, oh, what? Oh, oh, I know what this was. Yes. Apparently it was, yeah, it didn't even really make the cut. I saw like a snippet of it in the show, but there was a challenge on there where your whole team had to eat this three kilogram blob of cheese and meat and just disgustingness. And you were there for it, right? When they did it. Sauce. Yeah. Yeah. And the sauce, like, I actually don't mind them. I, you eat a, over a kilo of anything like that and you're not going to like it. And plus they had, um, Juliet was doing, a, they had to eat it, share the kilo between three people. Cause Juliet was on her own eating challenge. I think she was doing the sardines. So three of them, so a kilo each of this thing, and the sauce, it has a bit of a smell to it, okay? I like the taste, actually. They're called Francisinhas. They're kind of a staple in the north of Portugal, and he actually, I think, honked on more than anybody on his team, too. He was just being the, the warrior that he is, the Challenger Series warrior, and getting through, but he was just looking at me. I was looking at him. I think I was having a beer, enjoying um, perhaps a salad with some tuna. And <laughs> That hurts. Yeah, yeah, lovely, nutritious. And he just looked at me and was shaking his head like, why are, why are you doing this? Why is this happening? It was the, definitely the closest I saw him, who I'm saying is probably the most, was the most consistently not broken down human being. That was where he almost broke, was the over a kilogram of Francesinha. Yeah, well, Portugal, I mean, at this point, they've been on the road for six days, right? Like, barely sleeping, driving way too much. That Kepa challenge just obliterated everyone. Then they had to make their way oh, down God, to Portugal good. the next day or that night. Um, so they're running on fumes, and the waves are terrible. So 
it's not even like in between doing all this random bullshit, they get to go sort of wash it off in the ocean because it's just absolutely horrid. Like the only person that really surfed in this uh, episode is Mackenzie, who was surfing quote unquote river waves, which were actually just little like refractions off of jetties and then uh, it, it was just tide it was just the tide moving <laughs> and then the red team went and surfed a ferry wave so that's pretty much the extent of the surfing that was going on at the time so yeah i can understand how people were hitting like new lows no well there's one of the best surf clips of the year in it too not that's true oh easily one of the best surf clips of the year it's it's one of my favorite clips i've ever seen just um the celebration amongst two naked men on just a desolate beach with some nice summertime looking clean water it's just elite um it was the naked headstand challenge which who did that one it was it it was just in writing it doesn't really sound i don't know i don't think i realized the humor of it until i saw it happening there's something hilarious (laughs) about somebody doing a headstand in the naked in the nude while on a surfboard there it's just visually hilarious to me yeah well there's like a gravity aspect right if you're a guy um things going in directions they don't normally go and yeah it's and thankfully (laughs) nate leal what an absolute weapon he's one of the filmers on this trip and by the way little caveat we're doing a story on the piece that looks into whether or not the blue team was actually being fed we're doing an unbiased third-party investigation we have um, somebody who wasn't on the highway calling all the relevant parties and figuring out whether or not the blue team was actually feeding their filmers but on the filmer point nate leal he was one of the filmers for the red team and he wanted to get you know he really wanted to support his friend letty who was out there putting in the hard yards doing Mm -hmm. the naked headstand so to do that soft yards (laughs) yeah (laughs) that too um so Nate decided to, while he was filming on the beach, he got naked in solidarity with Letty. And to your point, it led to probably one of the best clips that's ever come from Stab Highway, presented by Monster Energy. That's that's what surfing means to me. You know, sometimes we just take it a little bit too seriously. We yell about the WSL. Oh, they changed this rule. I did that. Surfing to me is is a man doing a naked headstand and then running up the beach to embrace another naked man <laughs> who's filming it. That is... That is what we do as a pastime, folks. And you know what else surfing is to me? It's Zoe McDougal impersonating Sterling Spencer, impersonating Jeremy Flores. Um, <laughs> that will never not make me laugh. Like, no matter Inception. how it comes up, yeah, it's just, it's such a beautiful thing. And we end this on, I mean, another form of surfing, which is the worst heat ever. Buck, do you want to give a little description of what that entails? I mean, the title doesn't uh, leave much to the imagination now, does it? Just actually, it does. Briefly imagine, audience, the worst heat you can possibly ever think could exist. Um, we tried to make that happen. And I got to be honest, like, with the Kepa idea, we had an idea to just, like, let them find good waves, but the swell didn't allow that, so we just hid Kepa on a beach. With this one, this was going to happen regardless. If we had pumping waves, we would have mimicked this format somewhere. And so the worst heat ever, uh, think about the elements that can make a heat really painful to surf. First thing we could think of was limited, limited, limited contest area. So, I mean, we gave them about 10, 15 feet of, of room. And if they <laughs> caught a wave outside that, they were it wasn't going to count. Um <laughs> We had it loaded. Was there four people or five? It was four. Four, yeah, I thought four. 
So we have four people in there in this minute area. And fortunately, the conditions align to give us pretty much as flat as the ocean gets in this part of the world. There's just no waves. And so we had web gloves out. Um, and then we had two local surfers, one of whom is insanely good. I think he's the best up and coming kid from Europe, um, Mateus Cagnotto. And then we had Neko Puret, who is, um, he's a lovely guy, but if you go to Kosho's when it's cooking and you see a goofy footer getting a lot of waves, absolutely fucking ripping, getting insane barrels, that's him. Uh, he's not going to give you away, but he is, he is a lovely guy. But, um, yeah, we had a good mix of kind of like an enforcer type and then just this kid who I think is really talented and is going to light people up in the future. And, um, sent our just sleep-deprived, nutrition-deprived, anemic stab highway surfers out there to go try to win the heat, and they didn't. (laughs) No, they absolutely got smoked. Um, But at the end of the day, one team has to be eliminated from this episode, so we're down to two teams. One of them is going to go straight to the final. The other is going to have to figure out a different way into that same final. So we've got a bit of a surprise coming in episode five. I'm not going to spoil it, but I will say that, uh, yeah, it's going to be a bit of a battle to, one, get into the final, and two, to win that finale. So a lot to come in episode five of Stab Highway Europe presented by Monster Energy. But, of course, you need to watch Ep4 first. It's live on the site now. Go get it. One more thing, just while it's on the front of my mind, I would like to apologize formally to the Customs and Immigration Department of the European Union because I don't think Mackenzie Bowden has left uh, the continent, and I don't think he will. Um, <laughs> go look at his Instagram. It's fucking hilarious, but he just, um, he's still hes still going, um, and I just want to call that out. Is he still in the Speedo? He is, I, he's, I think, in, in Sicily right now. He might have it back on, so um, it's great to see somebody just come over and not leave, unless you're a customs agent, in which case uh, it's a problem. The Maui situation is worse than you imagined. Uh, This is bad news, but it's important news. Surely you've heard about this. It's been all over mainstream media. Maui has been suffering from the deadliest wildfires in the United States in over a century. Um, Maui is also a place where a lot of high-level surfers live. And so many of them have been stepping up including Ian Walsh, Kai Lenny, and Matt Miola and Albie Layer, who we are about to hear from. Because a lot of those neighborhoods were like, you know, like families that have been there for a really long time and like a fucking lot of people did not make it out. Like a lot of people. Yeah, and do you know how much of the area they've already sort of canvassed and, you know, trying to figure out the death toll? I've, I've heard... 25 percent but i mean i have no idea this is just all hearsay um and that's but it's like it's gonna be a really long process because like i've talked to some of my like some people will have zero remains of them like not even teeth right because of how hot it burned um like there's pools of like melted aluminum like on the ground and shit like it's it's next level and like yeah there's i think there's 1400 people still missing is what i saw the last thing oh my god jesus yeah 
no it's fucked up it's like and you'd have to i mean missing at this point is probably like no that's not true because like it that number is shrank consistently every day with people who like ran to the other side and just didn't have a phone for three or four days but Mm -hmm. like it's getting to the point where that number is starting to get pretty scary and what have they done like what about all the people who lost their homes had to evacuate where are they all staying so like a lot of us on this side like i had like a you know granger and his older brother like their family all at sierra they stayed at my house or my parents house not mine my parents house my parents were fortunately gone so there's like a lot of people did that it just came over and stayed with friends over here at least in the surf community yeah that's which is a small portion of all the people that got displaced but i think right now there's like two or three you'd have to check me on this which hotels they are but i'm pretty sure like the hyatt and the ritz are are putting people up for free like citizens which is i i hope which i really think needs to happen is like those like four or five hotels like need to get a grant to just be able to host fucking all these displaced people for a couple of years or i'm mean, not like a couple of years like a couple of months until like a temporary housing gets set up or something yeah that's a really good point and also to your point like rebuilding that whole zone it feels like that's going to require more like you you know what i mean like individuals can't really help that much on that level like that really does require the government to come in and like subsidize certain things yeah and that's uh that's gonna be radical too because what we have is like all these people who have nothing left except a charred piece of land right and they you know hopefully they're they can you know a lot of these insurance policies were from back when their house like wasn't wasn't worth shit you know so hopefully they'll be able to get more than what their insurance policy said but then they're looking at this charred piece of land and people are coming in and they're gonna offer them money for the land and they're gonna go fuck I'm never going to be able to afford to rebuild or restart my business. I have nothing. (laughs) And they look at this check and they go, fuck, I got to take it and leave. Yeah. Because I have no choice. So we're hoping that, you know, I think it's the people need to demand that the government come in and make sure that these people are who have been there for generations and can stay and can rebuild and and live here you know it's like the government needs to come in huge they like they can't let this just you know force everybody out of their home so this is obviously like so sad on so many levels but you know a lot of people are focusing on what's going on right now naturally because a lot of people are still missing Um, A lot of people are totally unhoused. They don't have anything left to their name. So the fact that they're getting these people all the supplies that they need is obviously like the immediate recourse that you have to take. But the scary thing is that, God, this is really just the beginning for Maui and what they're about to endure. And I think the biggest thing that I really took away from these conversations with Albie and Matt is that 
the, what this could really lead to is basically all these families that have been there for generations and generations and they've had land and, you know, they've had their stores and that's how they not just fed themselves and their family, but that's how, you know, Maui is a thriving island and that's like where most of their tourism lives. But what's going to happen is now that these people have no means to basically make money to support their families, they're going to be in a position where they might have to sell their land just to sort of survive. And so the real fear is that there's going to be this big land grab and that people with a lot of money are going to just swoop in and be like, oh, wow, it's like, you know, 50% off land in Lahaya. Let me get that. So I guess really there's still a lot to figure out here. I know the government is helping the best they can for the moment, but it seems like they're going to need to do a lot more to ensure that Maui stays Maui. And um, yeah, we're going to be keeping an eye on this, obviously, but it's just they're in our hearts right now. So um, yeah, I guess we're, we're thinking about them and we're hoping for the best. And if you want to donate, you can find links to that in the show notes. A regular footer's guide to the best left on earth. This is, of course, a follow-up to what we published last week, which was Corey Lopez's guide to J-Bay. Um, we have Nate Florence, who recently went on that strike mission to Skeleton Bay, which may have been some of the biggest Skeleton Bay I have ever seen. I saw a wave just... It closed out, and that wave looked so violent. It looked so rude and mean and not friendly. Um, there was a ramp. Alley-oop, maybe. Um, but yeah, I think that was the biggest Skeleton Bay that I've seen footage of. Nate was there on site. He continued his surf bender. Um, he had to pull stitches out of his arm to do it. He's a psychopath. Mikey, you caught up with him, but is he is he normal on the phone when you call him? Uh, yeah, he is actually. And you know what? We're gonna have a little snippet from here from him here in a second. He is very normal on the phone. Like he acts like what he's doing is just typical human behavior. Of course, it's the farthest thing from, as you mentioned, he had this injury in his elbow that he gained from surfing in Indo. His board stabbed him and then he got infected. So he had to fly home. They had to open it back up. He had like a minor surgery. It's something about a bursa sac. He thought he was going to be out of the water for three weeks. And then this giant swell or series of swells really starts heading to Namibia. And being Nate, he can't not surf really good waves when they break anywhere in the world. So we flew over there. And not only did he surf it, but he put in one of the greatest human efforts uh, I think ever performed. Like even locals were saying like what he did in terms of doing laps there, like they'd never seen anything like that. And we have stats to confirm that he completed a marathon session, 32 miles uh, round trip doing loops out there, which is just unbelievable That is in one session. It's absurd. It's absurd, and that doesn't count the time that he spent battling the current. No, not at all. That's just purely, and which is what he's doing most of the time. So I don't understand him. I'm happy that you talked to him. Also happy that you went really granular with the question, just asking him what the experience is actually like, because it is such a unique wave. It's so long. It attracts a decent amount of people, and just the questions regarding, like, What's the etiquette out there if somebody's been battling the current for an hour and a wave kind of swings to you and you just kind of did your drift and ran back up and you're in position? Like, lovely guy, too. What a gentleman saying he wouldn't go on that. And it even seems like he takes the side of caution when you see somebody kind of in one and you're like, oh, this person's not going to make that section, but better be safe than sorry and burn somebody. So I love that because those are things that I think a lot of people would have probably wondered about, about the actual experience out there. 
So, good stuff. Let, should we hear from Nate? Should we get him on the program? Let's get him on. The plane was 95% surfers, like, and half of those were pros. Like, <laughs> you're, like, looking around like, oh, my God, what did I just fly into? Like, I just I just flew into the most instant crowd of my life. Like, <laughs> like and it's all your buddies, right? You're laughing because you, you, you're not gone the trip with the people but you show up and you see them and you just both look at each other and point at each other and you just start laughing like and it was like that over and over again on one flight and there was multiple flights of those like i guess guys just coming in russian roulette with your board bag everyone standing at the baggage lane like we took off and saw three crates of board bags stay on the tarmac when we left oh my god we were like Nobody could see whose boards they were, and so everyone was just like, Fuck, I hope my boards got on this plane. And so at the baggage claim, like, tons of, dude, there must have been 12 board bags left on the tarmac. And so that was for the first day, so, like, a bunch of guys were scrambling. I luckily, like, my, my board bag was one of the last to come dragged in, and I was so psyched. And so guys were scrambling, like, I heard some guys had to buy boards or rent boards or figure it out or couldn't surf at all the first day because they didn't have their bags or a closed bag got lost in some connection because that was just the Joburg flight. But guys had flown from around the world, across the world. So bags have been lost in other connections. It was just crazy hearing all the stories. Like so many travel shockers, but majority made it. And what you were looking at was like, I was like, there's got to be like, 50 pros here like and then there's maybe another 50 to 60 um non-pros just psyched surfers showing up it's wow. gonna be packed like it's over like this is for sure gonna be the time where skeleton bay gets packed the place just eats a crowd dude full man eater like you somehow it's somehow because the current is so bad and the length of the wave is you might run into a situation where like someone's in front of you as far as like 10 feet or 20 feet deeper than you um, once in a while throughout the day. But for the most part, like the best waves I saw were empty still. Like the people were just struggling in the current and getting pounded and getting ripped down. You jump in with 10 guys and everyone gets separated on the paddle out because the paddle outs are nuts. So it was kind of cool to see because the waves still can handle a crowd wow. like that big of a crowd and really good surfers too which you like you know guys are making waves far and so even still it was definitely like more people than i've ever seen here even though i've only come there one other time but it still ate the crowd alive and like there was just huge rotational thing happening where you pretty much the whole length of the beach you see people walking but there would still be like that and happening in the water where maybe a little clump of five guys would build up and then it would get dispersed by a set. And then you'd still see guys sitting solo in like a hundred foot in either direction before you see the next guy. So I know that your elbows hurt. So maybe this is going to be a different response for you, but like for the normal person doing this, what part of your body hurts worst at the end of the day? Is it your shoulders from paddling legs from walking your arm just from carrying your board? Yeah, I think you're sh oh, I, it's it's hard to say because people surf it differently, but like some guys just drift down, that's why, and, and hope they get a wave, and maybe that's the better way. You don't use all the energy, but I 
felt like my sh- my whole body, but my shoulders were still so smoked from the paddle outs and the fighting of the current. Yeah. <clears throat> the walk is my like hip flexors started to blow up towards the end, but the walk isn't so bad. You know, you make a little strap with your leash, and you just it just it's more just it feels really long than it is like physically taxing because you're just at a walk, but barefoot you feel, you start to feel the sand wearing at the skin of your feet you feel it like from walking in sand for so long so many times you feel the skin getting worn off i swear on your feet wow. so ever like i wear booties to stop from that and then your toes get jammed in your booties and they're soggy all day and so your toes start to feel weird and for me my hips were tight so my hip flexors blew up but i heard other guys talking about their knees or their like different parts <laughs> you know like the past injuries start to flare up from walking for so long boat carrying surfers from Nias to Penang missing at sea um okay this this title we have updates uh which you probably already read on the site <laughs> but I gotta be honest this is the first kind of piece we published on this matter and it's the type of thing where you read and my immediate reaction to this was, okay, this is over. Like it's, it sounded really, really bad. Um, basically the trip from Nias to Penang, which the island they're going to is kind of just a small, I was looking into it. It seems incredible. It's like a small island, some fun waves right out front. When I say fun, I mean world-class. Um, and then you're within like 10 yeah, Indo fun. 10, 30 minutes boat ride to a variety of other waves. Less rights, rippable barrels, just heaven. And um, this island is just like, there's nothing else other than this little resort on there. They grow some food right there. They're eating well. Seemed affordable, which is all to say I understand why these Australian surfers went for it and did that. And to be honest, the journey doesn't really sound that sketchy on paper. I think it was just quite unfortunate like i think it's about 55 kilometers from neos to where they're heading um looks like there's about a 30 kilometer stretch where you're not really near any other little islands just a full proper open ocean so that's a lot but it's not crazy and the camp there there's one spot available till mid-october so it is clearly they have limited capacity but this is a trip that a lot of people take and it went wrong on sunday for a crew who went missing, spent nearly two days just without anybody knowing where they were, just full search and rescue mission, and they fucking made it. Um, They're alive. There's four surfers, all from Australia, and then three Indonesian crew members. Unfortunately, one of the Indonesian crew members, a gentleman named Fifan, has not been found. He is presumed dead at this point, which is horrible, but out of that crew... Um, everybody else made it so incredible story like it's what a nightmare what a hard thing to imagine and the fact that it worked out is just incredible yeah well anybody who's spent a decent amount of times in the mentalize and has made any sort of crossing whether it's from like the mainland out to the islands or even island to island as they were doing man it can get so sketchy like the storms there they come on so quick and they're so powerful like you think of the mentalize as this sort of like dreamy idyllic zone where it's you know glass all the time and it is a lot of the time but also they're just these squalls and for whatever reason i swear they're like magnified by 
the sort of i don't know the passages that you have i don't know if the water's like crazy deep and it just gets more turned up but people have gone through really really bad situations there and this is obviously one of them thank god they had surfboards realistically you know because a lot of locals and stuff obviously make these voyages all the time and they presumably don't have surfboards so they definitely were saved by the fact that they had like a large flotation or many several large flotation devices which could also probably provide some shade during the day because i mean being out in the sun like that mental wise for whatever 16 hours a day with no shade whatsoever you would probably like i mean you get obviously dehydration your body would start to like freaking have sun boils and stuff like that so yeah they were really really lucky um and by the way their names are elliot foot they were actually a bunch of friends going for his 30th birthday and his girlfriend steffi weiss they were also with jordan short and will teagle and like buck said all of them have been rescued we're actually working on getting an interview with them because uh ethan davis one of our writers is good friends with ethan or elliot foot sorry so he was the first to know that this was going on and was obviously super distressed and obviously totally relieved as well when he found out that they were all right. So the question, Buck, and this is one that I've like actually been thinking about a lot. So they get rescued, right? And they're safe. Maybe they're a little sunburned. They're obviously thirsty and hungry and whatnot. But they still have this trip booked in this island where the waves are presumably really good. Do you like finish your trip as normally like do you just go surfing and act as if it didn't happen or do you just fly home because it was too much of a traumatic experience to even consider doing that from what i understand they're staying and i back that decision um yeah well i mean what you're not gonna like it's not gonna happen again if you or maybe i mean well fingers crossed of course but it's not like you're you know what i mean like <laughs> it already happened it's done yeah i mean i'd probably be surfing it helps for me because the wave out front on the island is the left um you know, I'd probably be hitting that more than anything. Even I might be a little bit hesitant to even get on any sort of a boat. And then when time comes to leave, obviously be dealing with a lot of stress and trauma. But yeah, I think you, I think you continue the trip. Um, you're there, you know, and uh, it's crazy. One other thing I want to call out is so it just storm, the ship sunk and like you said, the surfboard saved them. But at one point, Elliot left the group to try to paddle to land and signal for help. That is some Eddie Cow shit, man. Um, I can't imagine being in that situation, and I can't imagine taking that risk. But I think the rest of the group was actually found before him. But he did make it to land, and just to take that risk for the to try to improve the chances for everybody else heroic move um and so he deserves those lefts out front yeah we're gonna do our best to get elliot and the rest of the crew on an interview on the site next week so stay tuned what else we got mikey what else we got well we actually have a stab interview this week with bryce young who about three weeks ago or so put out basically his like hallmark surf film all the footage that he's been holding for the past however 10 15 years it seems like and it's him riding exceptionally good waves, largely uh, around his home on the east coast of Australia, but also some waves in Indo and beyond. And most importantly, I would say, is that he's doing it on Ryan Birch surfboards, which I've never ridden one, but the lines that they allow people to draw, obviously we're also talking about some of the most talented surfers in the world to begin with, Ryan Birch and Bryce Young. But I'm going to go ahead and say it. I think Bryce is doing not every single time, 
but when he really connects, I think he's doing perhaps the best rail turns in surfing. Whoa, big claim. Whoa, big claim. I mean, who else is... It's the the speed, the angle, and the power, like, all combined. Like, I just... I don't really see anybody else doing that. And I think that the board plays a huge role. Obviously, when you're surfing on an ASIM, one, you have, you know, a differential and rail line. And also, your fin setup is such that you get a little bit more release while also getting the extra hold. So it's a combination of all these factors, plus just an unbelievable talent. He's obviously the son of a multi-world champion, Nat Young. Uh, not that yet, Nat Young, but the other Nat Young. And yeah, we have an interview with him uh, that's on the site right now by Christian Bocut, just kind of getting to know Bryce a bit more because he's been one of these crazy reclusive creatures in surfing for so long. Obviously, like whenever anything comes out, your eyes are glued to it because his surfing is so magnetic but um this is the first time we've really gotten to hear from bryce and what he's up to yeah christian also wrote that piece on the united arab emirates that went out this week about the surf scene that already exists in dubai which i found interesting you can't just go invent it wsl they're already doing it all right <laughs> that's right and we have also a piece on the site about the boards that people are actually riding nowadays, and this came from two different things. Um, Holden Turnka reached out to all the biggest shapers in the world and found out what sort of boards they're selling, you know, from PU versus EPS, stock versus custom. And it turns out that it varies a lot by country, and that's dependent upon like how cheap resources are over there and also what style of waves. Obviously, that makes the most sense. In Hawaii, for instance, there's very little EPS because the winds and the waves are so powerful. But in Australia, they ride an incredible amount of EPS because those actually have the highest margins for shapers, so they end up shaping them a lot more. So a lot of interesting factors in there. And then we also included some data from our STAB audience survey, which basically compares the the real core of surf culture, like the people who are really, really in it, um, to, I guess, the masses who the shapers are talking about. And spoiler alert, we do not purchase the same way that the masses do. Whoops. Sorry. <laughs> who would have guessed that uh, it's just the most uh, passionate, opinionated collective of people uh, don't follow the exact trend? Who would have guessed? So that's on the site right now. And the next week, as I mentioned, we're going to have the Stab Highway presented by Monster Energy finale over in Europe. We are going to select a winning team. And Buck, I'm going to give you a little heads up. So the winning team won a trip to House of Somos in Costa Rica. It's a sweet little surf retreat in Santa Teresa. The winning team is actually coming down here this week. I'm going to see them as Ooh. soon as Sunday. So their trip is actually going to start before the finale goes live. We're going to obviously no keep way. all that off socials so that people don't get spoiled and whatnot. But uh, yeah, I'm going to be seeing the winners very shortly wow. now. Wow, look at it all coming full circle. Are you going to harass them again like the other winners? I might, I might. I also, though, nicely, I have, uh, I've brought in a, another little surprise for them that I think they'll be really, really happy about. So that'll all be revealed soon. But that's what's going on in the next week or so. And then obviously, with Tahiti done, everything is geared towards lowers, which is starting on September 8th. They obviously just need one day to run. So we'll be doing full coverage on that from start to finish. Stacey and I will talk about it. We'll do odds with betonline.ag and everything else you need to know will be coming in the next few weeks. I can't wait. Does that make me a bad person that I'm excited for the WSL finals? Because it's been really hard to tell this year. <laughs> if that makes me a person with horrible, with just a lack of a moral compass. Um, 
So, am I bad? Am I a bad person? Well, it depends on your opinion about whether Ethan Ewing's spot should be given up or not. Ooh, uh, yeah. I mean, first of all, thank you for breaking that down. You break it down in very clear ways. And uh, the the Gabe thing, which I saw in some comments on the, the finals piece article, it would be cool to see him, but, I mean, there's also just logic um, that says no. <laughs> um but it would be, imagine that, um, yeah. So funny, funny. But I, I am with. I'm. I see the side of like how sick would it be to have Gabe and Lower just with the chance to go Steph on everybody. I would like that. But yeah, you need to have rules. So no. All right, time for a surf in. Let's get to the surf in. What's up, boys? Just been listening to another surf podcast, and I've had a PTSD flashback a um, couple of years ago I was uh, surfing at my semi-local um, I'm I don't have the cred I'm not that well known there and uh, I brought a friend of mine from out of town we both paddled up the point it's a really nice point break on the north coast of KwaZulu-Natal uh, but the the locals are hardcore um, friend of mine was unaware of this he paddled up inside paddled the crew took off on the set wave and the locals rounded, they rounded hard. I was a little further down, I could tell what was going on, but in order to protect my very limited reputation, I paddled away, caught a small wave, went in, pretended not to see anything. I feel terrible, it's PTSD galore. What's my penance? Kind of a theme of the sins, right? Like uh, I took somebody to a place where they don't belong, whether it's uh, they don't belong with the people out there, they don't belong with the conditions out there, but this is this is kind of one of the themes. Um, one thing that comes to mind is I think it's hilarious when you surf with somebody, and some people are guilty more guilty of this than others. I am probably the guiltiest. Like I will arrange to surf with somebody. Oh yeah, let's go. I'll meet you there at three. I will surf a different wave. I will go, we will talk as we walk down the beach, and I will go so far from you, you will not interact with me, you might not see me. Um, so I do think it's kind of hilarious to surf with somebody because when I do it, I make absolutely no effort to talk with them or really be in their vicinity in any way. Uh, so that said, I don't think you did the wrong thing. If I fell out somewhere with a friend, my friend was kind of being a dick, I'd be like, oh, I'm staying away from that guy. Or if my friend was getting in trouble, I'd be like, oh, fucking making it clear that I don't know him. Okay, um, yeah, my I I tend to do that as well, just because I'm a bit of a selfish bastard. My wife gets so mad, because she, like, wants to surf with me, which is, like, really sweet, you know, like, when you think about it. But then I'm out in the water, and, like, she just kind of likes to sit in one place. She doesn't like to, like, paddle around a lot and, like, chase down waves. And I'm just sitting there, like, freaking out internally. Like, I, I want to go here. I want to go there. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. yeah. And, no, I couldn't do that. But, I couldn't do that. But I also, I, I had a realization today. The best surfing buddy to have is somebody who is the opposite stance of you and who is indifferent but not opposed to going backside. So it's not like you can't go to a wave with them that is like going to be on their backside it's not like you where you'll just outright outright refuse pretty much but also when you're in a situation where like especially when you're surfing a beach break and like a good left comes 
it's just known that I'm going to let them go. And if a good right comes, it's just known that they're going to let me go. And I think that's the perfect surf buddy. That is a good, that is a healthy arrangement. That is a good, good, good for you for finding that in your life. Um, what do you got for a penance? Anything come to mind? Okay. So I actually, the, the video was like, it was great. The story that he told was great, but it was like incomplete to a certain degree because he, I couldn't tell if the guy got actually beat up by these dudes or if he just sort of got worded up. So I reached out to the center and he confirmed that his friend didn't get beat up. He just got yelled at and told to go in. So it's one thing like if your friend's getting beat up and you're pretending like you don't know him, that's pretty fucked up. If your friend's just getting yelled at, it's like, okay, well, he's not being physically harmed, and it is kind of his fault. It seems like he just paddled up the inside, like should have kind of known better. So I don't think the sin is totally abhorrent, but it is a sin. Um, And first and foremost, we put this on our Instagram. So I want to go through one Instagram comment that I enjoyed, and that was from Jay Rockcliffe. And he said that the penance is to paddle out a pipe and drop the Kenny Rogers. Mahalo, you fucking surfers. <laughs> oh, wow. I, that'd be fucking terrifying. That would be an interesting move. Um, I wonder who you'd even deliver it to and who would be better to, who would be worse to. Um, I welcome it. I welcome it for sure. All right. So that was from Instagram. But my penance is... The next time that you go surfing with this particular friend at a spot that you know to be particularly localized and you are not one of those locals, what I want you to do is, I was going to say you have to wear a bright wetsuit, but then I realized that that entails incurring like a significant cost. So I'm not going to make you go buy like a fluorescent wetsuit, but there is a guy at Lower Trestles who every single day paddles out with a bright orange t-shirt over his wetsuit so that when he goes home and goes on surfline rewind it's really easy to find his clips so i think you need to do that you need to basically peacock out in this lineup and you need to wear a really bright shirt over your wetsuit which is embarrassing on multiple levels and the idea here is that you're just going to take the attention away from your friend you're going to bring all that negativity and ire towards yourself and you need to sort of stew in that because you shied away from it last time I like that. I like that. I'm coming at it from a different angle. My thoughts are, okay, you brought something bad into the lineup. Um, Now you have to bring something good. And so I think he should go. I'm going kind of that pipeline route. It doesn't have to be pipe. It just could even be the same way. Just go somewhere where you know the locals are real staunch and bring an actual offering out into the water with you. Um, It could be a beverage. It could be... Anything that has some, the only rule I'll say is that it can't be something that is easy to transport into the water. It should make it more difficult to paddle out. Um, You should almost have to almost hurt your shoulder because you're kind of trying to juggle the the thing and your board and things didn't go well. So it should be hard to get out there. And then you should just give it to who you view as the top dog. Um, But let's think about this in, in... yeah, like really would that automatically diffuse anything like could you see somebody really getting mad if you just give them an actual gift in the water at a, at a crowded spot i think it would work i legit think that if you just they'd get a little bit bewildered and they'd be like okay like yeah get away i think it would work i think it might too now you got me thinking like what if you just brought like a wad of cash with you to a localized spot and just started like handing out ten dollar bills would absolutely work 
It would absolutely work. I, I guarantee you, if you went to, if you went to a highly localized wave and just paid somebody, say, hey, I just want one. Here's twenty bucks. They would fucking take it. <laughs> guarantee. So true. Why does no one do that? It's so worth it if it's like a spot you never go to, and it's like a really good wave, and you just sort of, you know, when you go to the one of those spots and you just want to get one, just to like, you just you want know. one. Yeah. Go bring a twenty. It would fucking work. <laughs> All right. Put some money in your pocket. Paddle out figure it out go buy a wave it's gonna be fine thank you as always for listening to the drop and if you have a surf sin of your own you can send them to michael at stabmag.com or bucketstabmag.com film them vertically on your phone 60 seconds or less and if you get chosen to air on this podcast as the week surf sin you will get a free year of stab premium where you can watch things like stab highway presented by monster energy stab high also presented by Monster Energy, which is coming soon. Psst, shh, secret, don't tell anyone. Um, we also have things like Stab in the Dark, How Surfers Get Paid, so many other great series and films, and daily premium editorial that you can't get anywhere else. A lot of great things happening on Stab Premium. And if you are looking for something to eat, you know that fringe bars are probably the best pre-surf food made of mushrooms, probably delicious. We'll find out for sure next week. And until next week, over and out.